0: Hello again. My name is Russ Clemmer. Thank you for joining the Three Winds Podcast. I'll be your host today. And I've got a great guest with me, Greg Gunn from Family ID. Greg, thanks for joining today.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Russ. I'm so excited to be here. uh, This is going to be, it's going to be fun to get to talk about a multi-generational vision.
0: It's going to be great. You know, we, we hear a lot of times vision, right? And and I'm just going to, I'm going to land on that word for a minute. We hear about vision. We hear about mission, vision, and values, all the different things, the key key words and all you got going on you got over here, you got Simon Sinek who talks about start with why you got all these different things that people who are supposed to be like the sign behind you says on purpose, right? Being intentional and doing the different things. And sometimes, sometimes people get, you know, worked up and and they put something down on paper that they don't really understand and and work through. Mm -hmm. And that really is something that they shouldn't do just to have something. They should follow a process and and have someone that guides them through being intentional and being on purpose Mm -hmm. without that getting in the way of the thing that they're supposed to be doing in their business or their organization, right? The working in their business, but sometimes on their business. So Greg, today, I appreciate you joining because you're going to help, you're going to help those listening understand how to work through that process, not to be afraid of it, not to be intimidated by it, not right. to think they have to have a PhD in being intentional, right? The PhD in mission, vision, and values, they don't have to, they don't have to leave and be able to guide somebody else through that same process. Good. Uh, and That's what I like about what you've done. You've, you've created a system and process to take, and it's that family idea, but it's really any organization, right? In, in family being a, a fairly general term, any organization, any team, any any group of people who are trying to accomplish something together, but it does come out of a family experience, right? It births in the family setting. So kind of give us a little background of who you are. Okay, Give us a little background of family ideas an organization, right. like the garage startup story, right? How did, where did it come from and what led you into it? And kind of give us a little history
1: of, of all of that. Sure, sure. Well, it started when I was I was going to college. I was a junior there. The school was Southern Nazarene University in Oklahoma City. Okay? And as a junior, there was a company, a financial services company that was recruiting on campus and they were allowing people to to start with the company part-time and so I went to a meeting and man, I got so excited about the financial services business. And there were guys in school. I grew up in a wonderful, a wonderful Christian home and was at a Christian university. And so people were asking me, hey, Greg, are you going to be a pastor? I said, well, no. I, I kind of feel called to be a Christian business person. You know, I want to be I want to build a kingdom business. I don't know if I used that term back then, but and so. This company uh, joined the company part time and and started my career there, and I stayed there for 30 years in that that business that I started at, at, at age 19. I got my started getting my licenses and and went into that business and I just loved it. I loved helping families develop and prepare a game plan financially and help them think more further down the road. I called the average person. I call it they have about a two paycheck vision. We, we look down the road two paychecks uh, before, you know, it like a long-term decision, right? What if we could make some decisions that were multi-generational? What if we thought in those terms, you know? So it wasn't until, those were all, all ideas of mine, of course, helping clients develop a retirement plan. You know, I was like, the furthest I could get them to think would be to think all the way to retirement, right? And so, and it wasn't until 1997 that I, I was 37 years old, and the associate pastor at my church was absent one Sunday. It was in December. And, I, and the next week he was back. And I said, Hey, David, where were you last week? He said, Well, my wife and I were on our annual family goal setting weekend. I said, Oh, what? He said, Yeah, this is our fifth year. We go away once a year. We write goals for our marriage, goals for each other. We think of three or four goals for each of our children they had like five kids under 12. And so we write several goals down for them. And then we, when we get home, we go over the goals we came up for them with for them. And then we ask them, what are some goals you want to accomplish this year? And we write those down. We then laminate that, put it by their bed. And then when we tuck them in at night, we go over their, their goals with them. <laughs> Dude, that's the most intentional thing I've ever heard of. He said, well... Really, Greg, I want to challenge you to have an annual family goal-setting weekend. And what really helps my wife and I is that we have written a family mission statement and a vision and core values, and we evaluate our year. We do it in December so we can kind of evaluate the last 12 months. And then what changes are we going to put in place? So we evaluate the fact, did we live out these values or did we just claim them and not actually live them out? Are we really on track with our mission and our vision? Are we making decisions based upon what we stand for, what we believe in? And I go, oh, dude, dude, dude. I do all of that for my business. I have an annual goal setting workshop. We go away. We take our leadership team. We work on on writing uh, goals. We, We take a retreat, take time away so we can really focus and all that. I said, but dude, doing any of that stuff Hasn't been within a thousand miles of my head when it comes to my family. <laughs> All right, I said, stop. Write me out an agenda of exactly what you do on this family goal setting weekend, and how do you write a family mission statement? <laughs> he said, Well, you'll figure it out. You've got a company mission, right? I go, Yeah, but man, I don't know. I must have. I must have brain freeze. How do you do that for your family anyway? So I found this book that uh, Stephen Covey had written The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the seven habits was that highly effective people write a family mission statement. And I found a little audio book that he had done, uh, ordered that, I listened to it 10 times. My wife and I set a date. Okay, at this time I had a nine-year-old daughter. We had a six-year-old daughter and a six-month-old. So we brought our six-month-old with us on this trip he said drive at least an hour to give you and your wife some time to decompress get just get some windshield time and then when you get there you need to spend 1 hour in prayer so we just man i'm coachable so i I took my little agenda i did everything he said we drove to we drove from oklahoma city to tulsa about an hour and a half away we got into that hotel room we knelt down and we just started praying. We started praying for an hour, and about 30 minutes into that, I would prayed for everything I could think of to pray for. I prayed for every missionary in the world. So I mean, I said, okay, let's open the Bible. Let's just start reading through the Bible, and let's pray some Scripture, you know. So I turned to a chapter in Jeremiah 35, In that is a story about a family called the Rachabites. And Jeremiah has invited the Rachabite family into the temple. He's got some instructions and a word from the Lord for their family. So I just thought, man, wouldn't it be in something that the prophet of God, the, you know, the, the guy that's going to share with us, he's got a direct line to, to God, right? And so he's got something he wants to share with us. Oh, my gosh, you know. So he invites him into the temple in one of the rooms there, and he sets wine out before them and he said you guys go ahead and have a have a drink of that wine and then I've got something I want to I want to share with you and the rakabites looked at each other and said we're not going to drink it he said well why not well our great grandfather Jonadab son of Rachab, gave us 3 instructions that we are not to drink wine we're not to own land and we're not to grow crops and he said he gave this command to every generation of our family, all of your sons and daughters forever. So we have been living out those three commands now, and come to find out those commands were given 200 years earlier. And so every generation of this family had passed those core family values down to every generation. And here they were 200 years later, and They are living this out as if they got those instructions yesterday, right? And they said, now, the reason we've done that is because it's really kind of preserved our family. When the Chaldeans, when Babylon came into the land and took Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, uh, back captives, back to Babylon, well, because we didn't own any land and we didn't grow any crops, we didn't have anything to defend So when we heard that the army was coming, we rolled up our tents and we moved out of town. And so I thought, oh, my gosh, what a deal. He said, so Jeremiah said, well, thank you for not drinking that wine, because this was a test to see if you would keep these commands that your, your fathers and forefathers had given you. And God wants to use your family as an example to all of Israel what was it like to get these commands and, and live them out every generation? Because the children of Israel, you got them one time, 200 years ago. The children of Israel have had us as prophets saying to them, know the Lord, follow Him, walk in God's commandments, and they have just not done that. And so, the Rachabite family then was given a huge blessing, mm-hmm. and it was that because you've obeyed the, your father's commands in Jeremiah 35, 19, because you've, you've lived out and followed these commands, there will always be a godly descendant who will serve before the Lord. And I thought, man, that's what I want. I want a multi-gen, if the Lord were to tarry another 200 years or 300 years, what if there was a gun family descendant that every generation lived their life more fully for God than we did in our generation. Man, what what if we could pass a family vision and family values to every generation so that 200 or 300 years from now, these documents that we created, these family archives, that they would would read them and get, get strength from it and get discipline from it and so on and i thought oh man okay so ron and i we were praying over that we said lord would you give us the gun family the rachabite blessing would you give us the three family instructions that we could leave so what would be the gun family drink no wine what would be what would be the gun family own no land or grow no crops you, you know the, the lord didn't have anything against people owning land you know what would be, what was the land of israel all about if owning land wasn't important. No, absolutely important, but just not for that particular family, right? Or growing crops or or drinking wine in moderation, right? So we said, okay, Lord, we want to know the gun family instructions. What could we pass to every generation? And number one, the number one thing we felt like we wanted to pass is that every generation of our family would see their family as their first and most important ministry, their first and most important disciples would be your family, not your only ministry, not your only disciples, just your first and most important. And so the scripture that we found for that was Luke chapter 15, verse 4, where it says, A good the good shepherd had a hundred sheep and one got lost. The good shepherd then left the 99 to go find the one. And I thought, man, that's that's a powerful scripture because we as business leaders and we as as Faith leaders, we we have a tendency to pour our lives out for the 99 and neglect the one. And that one is our marriage or or our family. So I wanted wanted to pass to every generation, No, no matter what you do, whatever your vocation might be, we want you to see your family as your first and most important ministry. Second, that we would help every generation of our family discover who they're supposed to marry. Because who you marry affects everything, right? Mm. Mm. When I went to my mom, I was 19. I didn't know, you know, come here from Sikkim. I was 19 years old. I just broke up with this girl, broke my heart, you know. And so I said, mom, how will I know when I've met the right one for me? I didn't want to ask my dad. I didn't think he would know. But I thought my mom might know. So I said, mom, how how will I know when I've met the right one, you know? And she said, honey, I am so glad you asked me that. Because I knew if I tried to tell you before you were ready, you wouldn't even you wouldn't even listen. So I said, okay, so I got my little notepad out. I said, okay, mom, I'm ready. How will I know when I met the right one for me? She said, honey, you'll just know. Slow down. Is that all we got? I'm just supposed to know. (laughs) Well, yeah, I saw a girl at the swimming pool yesterday. I think I know. No, would you agree? We got to do better than that. If one of the most important decisions our family members are ever going to make in the future is who you're going to marry. It affects everything. Everything you're, you, when you wake up and go to bed, what you dream about throughout the night, it affects your spiritual life. It affects your financial life. It affects your sanity, whatever, right? Who you marry impacts everything. And we've got to become, incre- I thought, okay, what can I do to be? Become very intentional at making sure uh, that our children and grandchildren, great-grand, grandchildren, you know, have an idea of how to pick the right one, right? And so Ron and I started praying for every one of our the future spouses that were going to marry into our family. We went overboard. We started praying for the parents of that girl or boy that was going to marry into our family. We prayed for their marriage. We prayed that they'd be focused on. Going to a marriage seminar and just getting better at marriage. Right? We prayed for the grandparents because I think guys really grandparents have more influence in their little finger than mom and dad have in their whole body. But grandparents think, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to impose. I, I don't want to impose my will on my grandkids. I, I, I need to let my children just kind of parent and do for. Them. Look, don't. Hey, grandparent, you have no idea how powerful my grandfather was. The most important people in my life. If my grandfather had a mission statement and a vision and some core values and some family archives, I'd give anything. But he passed away when I was 12 years old, and I don't have a single piece of paper he wrote. Man, I I know there's pictures out there. and We got a few. But man, what if I had some documents that were written and said, Greg, this is what our family was called to do. This is what we were put on this earth to accomplish and honor. Dude, those would be the most valuable documents in the world to me. And yet I had almost nothing. And so we should say, look, we want to make sure that when we're praying for that future spouse, we're praying for her favorite coach. We're paying for their, praying for their favorite book, their favorite movie, because all that stuff has impact. We're praying for their best friend, right? I mean, dude, if I go pray for parents and grandparents, I need to be praying for their best friend. I got in more trouble with my best friend than I ever did with my grandparents, right? I thought, dude, that's right. I need to be praying for that youth pastor that they're going to be in that that youth group, that youth pastor will be focused on helping these kids overcome all the challenges in the world. I mean, right. I thought, dude, I got some praying to do. I hadn't been praying for all my future generations and who's going to marry into our family. So that was the second. Number two, we wanted to make sure we helped every generation figure out who they're supposed to marry. And then third, we wanted to put an end to unresolved sibling conflict. I mean, if you think about it, the first murder in Scripture was between two brothers. What? I mean, think about the Book of Genesis. How packed it is with unresolved sibling conflict. Ishmael and Isaac. I mean, look at what happens to unresolved sibling conflict in the future generations. How? How are the How are the Arabs and the? and the Christians and the Jews, right, the descendants of Ishmael and Isaac, how are their relationships? It's worse now than it was a thousand years ago. Am I right? I mean, think about it. Joseph and his older brothers sold him into slavery. I mean, Jacob and Esau, Jacob rooked his brother out of his birthright and stole his blessing, right? And his mother helped. I want to slap her for helping, right? I mean, think about The amount of unresolved sibling conflict. And dude, I grew up in a family where, man, I didn't think I had any responsibility for my siblings. They were kind of breathing some air I could have been breathing, you know? I didn't realize that, God, we have a huge, powerful responsibility to build relationship with our our siblings. My siblings are in their 50s today, and they actually need my encouragement today more than they did when they were 15. Isn't that that amazing? We have a lifelong opportunity to minister to and build relationship with our siblings and our nieces and nephews. I mean, I looked up to my aunts and uncles. They were like bigger than life. These were the funniest, happiest, successful aunts and uncles. I mean, they were awesome. If one of them had ever called me, said, Greg, I've been praying for you. I'd have passed out. Or, hey, I want to meet you for lunch. I got some stuff I want to share with you. Dude, I dropped everything to go meet with my aunt or my uncle, right? As families, we've got to be, become so intentional at, at speaking into and over the lives of those in our family, our nieces and our nephews, our, our our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So those were the three things that we wanted to pass to every generation. If every generation just got that, we felt like Ron and I thought we would be. And so we said, Lord, would you just give the gun, give us a vision statement. So we just put our pen down on the paper. We didn't have a really any kind of a good process, you know. We just put it down the paper, and out of the end of our pen, Russ came this vision statement, and it was to lay the foundations for many godly generations. Man, we were so excited. We we said, "Oh my gosh, that's what we want to do. We want to we want a family like the Rabbites, right? We want to." We want to lay the foundations in this generation for many godly generations to come. We want our ceiling to become the floor for our next generation. We want them to do more on this earth than we've ever done. We want them to surpass us. We want them to keep every inch of soil we we gathered in our lifetime and build on it into the next generation. We want every generation to have this multi-generational view of life. And so, man, that just fired us up. I came back, I went, at the time I had a a company, we had about 14 offices. We had about 800 licensed agents in in five states. So I did a lot of recruiting and and team building and motivation and boy, I came back and man, all I could talk about was this vision statement we got. And man, you guys have got to get one and you need to do one. I gave them my little agenda. You need to go away on your weekend and and write these your family goals and write goals for your marriage and goals for each other. And I mean, we were goal setting fanatics. Okay, in my business, I mean, we made people carry their goals in writing on them everywhere they went. So if I came up to you at work and I said Okay, Russ, I need to see your goals. If you couldn't produce that piece of paper, I made you pay a dollar fine, and we put that in a bucket, and at the end of the month, we had a pizza party off all the fine money, all right? It got to where we couldn't create a... Everybody had their goals on them, right? Nobody wanted to pay that dollar, right? And so we were already goal-setters, but we had never done that with our, for our family. So we really started encouraging people. And so about after about six months of all we could talk about how this has changed the way I think. And now when I sit down with my client, I talk about their multi-generational vision and stuff, you know, show them my vision statement. And and finally, I said, OK, hey, in fact, this was in front of my my life group. We had a, we had a life group of about 20 couples that would attend. And so I said, OK, raise your hand if you guys have gone away and, and written your mission statement and your vision. And like one couple raised their hand. I thought, dude, what have I got to do to tell to, to explain to you how important this is? And finally, someone said, Greg, we need somebody to kind of hold our hand, kind of walk us through it. We don't even know yeah. where to start. I don't know yeah. <laughs> well, what, what, what goes first, what goes second. Thought, okay, great. Stop. All right. We set a date. We took uh, 17 couples to a hotel. We locked them in that hotel. And man, at by the end of that that weekend, every family had written a family vision, you know, of some core values and a mission statement. And that started, that was actually in 1997 when we did that first event. And then in 2003, we started, we formed a 501c3 nonprofit organization called Family Vision Ministries. And we started doing what is now today the Family ID, Family Intentional Direction Workshop, that has really become streamlined. It now to where we can walk a family through this in about five hours. It's a we can do it a little less than that, but even you know with breaks and and you know a meal in there and that kind of thing. But man, it is so exciting to see family after family. That was in 1990. Kind of started unofficially in 97. We became a 501c3 in 2003. Since that date, we've had almost 50,000 families go through this workshop, either live or they've done it online. And it's so exciting. We've now got it in five different languages. We have it in Spanish, of course, English, and then Portuguese. We have it in Russian. We have a, a family ID leader in Russia that is taking families through the workshop now all over Central South America we have it in Italian, we have it in Arabic. And so God is just beginning to get them to multiply this literally around the world. I was able to go to India for three different times. I've been to India. We've had 10,000 families go through the workshop in India. And it's just, it's just exciting to see how families are just all over the world from every people group. They are so interested in developing this this family vision. And of course, you can see the attack on the family is unrelenting, and it is worldwide. And so we feel this this calling to help build up and strengthen the family. And man, when you create a family mission statement in these core you do it with your children. And I'm serious, we see children as young as eight and nine years old, just lean into this. They are so excited that they have a voice in this. We see couples that are having their grown children and their spouses, and we're getting them all together in one setting. And we go through this workshop. We really customize it for those high-impact families that we really feel like God has given them great influence on the earth. We want to help that family and get their family archives started so they can pass it to every generation. So that's, that actually started in, in 1990. And then in 2010, I sold that financial services business and went full-time helping families take this, this message of building an intentional direction for your family. Here's what we found. Where family identity is strong, peer pressure is weak. Where family yeah. identity is weak, peer pressure is insurmountable. Peer pressure is strong. So if we can help families build this, this multi-generational vision, this vision that will capture the heart and the imagination of our children and grandchildren, it is amazing. Here, here's what we found. Vision creates passion. If you show me someone that you just think they're just passionless, all right, they have no passion. I envision a 16-year-old who is like a wondering generality. They don't have any, any real direction. They are no purpose. And I said, so how do we give this this how do, how, do, how do we impart this passion, right? Well, vision creates passion. Passion creates discipline. See, if you if you if you're not disciplined, you don't have a discipline problem. You have a passion problem. Because anyone that has passion for something, man, they are already disciplined. They are paying a you know they're working really hard at yeah. their passion, and so. They don't even know it hurts. They don't even know we're suffering. All right. So to give you a, you know, and that that happens in a lot of of companies, you know, the original founder had the vision and that vision created passion and that passion created discipline. I mean, they're working 70, 90 hours a week. And that to them, it's not even work, right? Because they're so passionate. Well, their children, because they didn't pass the vision to the next generation, they just saw all this work going on and, dad and mom are never around, right? I mean, because they didn't get the vision, they also don't have the passion, and then they don't have the discipline, right? So, we've got to pass the vision to every generation. We found that there are four things we need to pass to every generation. Number one, the vision. That vision is so important. Second, we have to pass our values, those values that made us successful, those values that helped us build that business, all of you who are founders, that idea that was that vision, that it created that passion. And so you want to be sure we're passing the vision, the passion, then that yep. discipline comes in. Yeah. Total commitment. When you've t- When you've paid a big, nasty, ugly price, you know, Russ, when you and I were growing up and we were playing sports and our coaches said, listen, you need to come early, stay late. You need to give 110% in practice because one day you're going to be on the two yard line and that other team in the wrong colored Jersey is going to try to score, man, you need to be able to run up on that line and look that look that dude in the eye and say, listen, buddy, you don't love it. Like I love it. I've worked harder than you. I've paid a bigger price than you. I deserve to beat you right and man you're gonna hit that old boy and knock him on his rear end am I right dude that's right it gave me man because I had paid such a big price I felt like I deserved to win and that's that's the kind of little extra edge that we've got to pass to every generation of our family so they can be successful they have to get our vision they have to get those core values they have to get our village of advisors look. If we, one of the most important things Solomon could have done for his son Rehoboam, he was going to inherit the kingdom. When and when Solomon died, he had not spent any time building a relationship between his advisors and his son, and so um, he didn't take their advice. He had no relationship with them. He took the advice of his peer group, and law, lo- and then within two years, the kingdom of Israel had been divided. He was no longer the king. And that that division started on that day, and it was not restored until 1948, when Israel became a nation again. And then, yeah. Think about that. And so what we've got to make sure our children get, and our grandchildren, they inherit from us our village of advisors. Some are, there's some advisors we just we, we read a book. That book had a huge impact on my life. So I want to make sure my children, grandchildren read that book, right? There are advisors. And that's what I see you're doing, Russ. You you have the organization that, that can help facilitate that village of advisors around that, those children and grandchildren. And then the fourth thing you have to pass is your valuables. Yet 99.9% of all planning right, is done to pass only one of those four, right, the valuables, and yet if they inherit these first three, they don't even need the fourth one. They'll recreate the fourth one, right? They've got the values. They've got the vision. They've got the village of advisors. My gosh, they don't even need them
0: yet. Yeah, and they they often, in what we see and what we fight against, and at least in our work and the families we're talking with, Right. Is the values are if you train kids to pay attention to the valuables mm. Mm. then when it's time that's what they're going to orient themselves around. It's good. They're right. not going to pay attention to the vision, the values and the village of advisors. They're going to just say, "Hey, where's the stuff?" Right. Or where are the things, where's the stuff? And I've got four little kids, you know, I'm, I'm similar to where you, I I got four little kids and and they're stuff oriented, right? right? They're thinking about stuff.
1: We're born, Um, we're born stuff oriented. Yeah.
0: And somebody said that, you know, the the adults who have not transitioned into adulthood, right? right? Just grown up kids. They're just little narcissists running around and they think it's, Hey, it's all about the stuff. It's all about the things that I can hold in my hand. It's a status question. It's whatever those things are that they have. And some parents, some parents have a vision. Mm. They have values. They have people around them. They do. We all do. do. (laughs) But they have taken the time. And I I think to myself, especially for some of these folks, the effort in bringing that to the next generation, Mm. Mm. that to me is... You know, people say, well, you're 18, you're out of my house, I'm not a parent anymore. Right. That's when you actually get into mm-hmm. some of the harder parts of parenting. Because right now, absolutely. You know, I've got little kids and I'm in control over my little kids. Right. right. I know I tell them what to eat, I tell them when to go to bed, I tell them when to take a bath, I tell them, you know, what sure. they can do, when they can do it, how much of it they can do. Right. All of that is just, I tell them what to do. Mm. Later on, it gets harder because you have to invite them and ask permission to continue influencing them. Mm-hmm. And that's often where people, parents, they just drop off, right? In fact,
1: our children under age 12, mom and dad are the cop. We, yeah. we create rules. We enforce the rules. You know, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. Please. Thank you. You know, make your bed, brush your teeth, right? We're a cop. We We make rules. And we we ask that they follow the rules, all right, or they get punished. Okay. But at age 12, that's what's at age 13, we need to transition them from being a boy or a girl to becoming an adult. Okay. And so when you were a child, we acted as a child, we thought as a child. But when I became an adult, I be I thought as an adult. We need to help make because we just don't have a time in our culture when a boy becomes a man or a girl becomes a woman. But yet in the Jewish culture, the Jewish culture has an exact date, an exact time. It was the same in the Native American and the, you know, the First Nations that were here. They all had a time when you were a boy, now you're a man, right? And so we need to reinstitute that into our families. Okay. We need to make sure that and then when, when at age 13 to age 18, you, Dad, you become the coach. A coach's job is to encourage, to to model, to practice, drill, rehearse, and master. You go from being, but if you try to be a cop, while you're supposed to be a coach, you're going to create resentment and rebellion and resignation. They just, you know, okay, what time? What time are you, you're supposed to be at home at uh, ten thirty? What are you doing? Okay, you're grounded. Oh, that was a that was a horrible infraction you're now grounded the rest of your life right no 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 we got to, we got a transition from being a, a being a cop to being a coach and then at 18 you become a counselor now when do when do you when do you engage a counselor you have to wait for the person that needs the counsel to ask a question right so yeah. we need to let our children now can you imagine at age 25 we're still trying to be a cop you talk about man you talk about creating a, a re, an opportunity for rebellion. Is for you to keep keep being a cop when you should be now a, a consultant. You're a consultant. You're a counselor. We've built such a relationship during that teenage years when we were coaching them. Right now, would you agree? Some coaches are good, and some are bad. Some only focus on everything you did wrong. Am I right? Yeah. You know, yeah. coach, coach did I ever do anything right? I mean, well, you're only pointing out my my flaws? No, it's let's let's drill. Let's practice on this. You know, son, daughter, during your teenage years, man, you need to avoid these big rocks. That if your boat hits that rock, man, it could sink your boat. It doesn't necessarily sink it, but it could, right? So, man, I want to help you avoid unwanted sexual behavior. Man, gosh, honey, man, if we can help you avoid hitting that rock, man, I want to help you avoid the drugs and alcohol. There is a reason why in our in our nation. You have to be 21 to purchase alcohol. It's because your brain is not fully developed yet, and what they've discovered is kids who get caught up in that in the teenage years have a tendency to struggle with it the rest of their life. So we want to help you avoid those kind of things and help you get your education. Help you know that kind of thing. So I want to be your coach. I want to help help make you the best you can be. Right, and then and then you become that consultant. So you're you're so right. And and us helping, just being more intentional and having someone, having a a village of advisors that can come around you and help you do it. I mean, we're all on a journey. We just need some guides to help guide us on that journey. And and that's what I love about what you you guys do and what we do at Family ID. We help families and just help be that guide to them down this journey of life in multiple generations. We want your children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren. We've actually got a, in our organization, in our company, we have, we ask every leader who comes to work here at at Family ID, we ask them to adopt this vision of following families for the next 300 years. We want every generation of our leadership team to buy into this vision of following each of your families for the next 300 years, right? Right. Man, what a vision, what a great idea to help but develop this, these family dynasties that get that can truly have a huge impact on the earth. I really believe we want to help every family become architects of repair and yeah. conduits of blessing in every generation of their family. That's the vision. How do we become yeah. an architect of repair and a conduit of blessing in every community, in every city that our family inhabits, right? Yeah. And that's that's what we want everyone, those that we help down this journey of developing their vision and their mission, and then recruiting to that, onboarding a new spouse to your family, yeah. onboarding yeah. a grandson or granddaughter into the leadership team of the family. Yeah, it's exciting. In today's
0: culture, though, I'm going to go back to the comment you made around Jewish culture and uh, Native American culture in in many ways have that uh, official launch point. Catholicism has it in there as well uh, somewhat, but if you you look at it, it's not a magical thing, but it's just intentional and there's an explanation behind it, right? And if you don't pay attention to the explanation, it just becomes routine and tradition. But if you dig into it and appreciate the explanation behind it, someone put some thought into it very and good. so in so many pockets of our culture mm. here in the States, but around the world, right, it doesn't exist. And there's a book that uh, I've been going through called The Intentional Father by a guy named John Tyson. Wow. And wow. he outlines that. And then the book is, a, is about his experience mm. taking his son yeah. through a specific journey, right? right? And getting him ready to launch and then launching him and i recommend anybody read it it's a, it's a great thing it's a little too narrow for my for for what i want to do because i've got a, also got a daughter right and i also want to be able to walk her through some of these questions yeah, very but good. it gives that it gives that a lot of statistics from the Barnum group mm. about fathers and sons and the intentional the gap in the absence of intentionality and so you know it got me thinking one day greg i'm sitting there and i'm thinking all right well i've got uh, I've got a couple of generations behind me that were involved in war, okay. right? Yeah. And so you look at it and say, "Well, I got uh, a couple of generations back. I can I can count back to World War One, and he came home. World War Two, he came home. My dad didn't go to Vietnam, but he was in the army at that time. Right? I've not been in, and I think, well, at least they all came back. Right, right. But what about all of the men hmm. who were absent? just because of war, right? Not, you know, not because of some other reason or, you know, something else, but just just take that one cultural sure. impact and be able to say the, the absence of a dad or the absence of a mom, right? If you just want to expand it to everybody and take it away just from the father piece. Sure, and sure. then even if they're together, the absence of them working together or the absence of from divorce or the absence from, you know, people just saying, right. I don't want to be responsible anymore and I want to go do my own thing. Whatever the reason is, sure, what you're describing takes a unified Mm. approach. Two people present, a unified approach, not that a single dad can't be intentional and follow this, not that a single mom can't do it as well. Right, but you're describing something that takes a unified
1: approach from both parents. Very good, very good. And you know, really, today, the blended family is really feels like they're so far behind. That they can't ever catch up, right? I have a special a special love for the, for the blended family and helping them create this multi-generational vision that will capture the heart and the imagination of his, of mine, and ours, right? So, I really believe that God has a special blessing for the blended family because God's got something really powerful to pass for them into every generation of their family and build a family dynasty, and so the blessing that we can we can help help them develop that and give them a sense of real calling and purpose. It's it's really cool to see these families put this stuff together, and we're yeah. seeing children and grandchildren are just leaning into it. It's a uh, you know one one of the things I, I noticed about the Bible is that. Why is it there's so many names of ancestors and that the Jewish people were required to memorize the name of every one of their descendants? You know, and here's what I found out, that in that ancient Greek, ancient world, they believed that there were five deaths that everyone would have. Your first death is when you get so old, you can no longer have children. Second death is when you're so old, you can no longer work the third death is when you physically die. The fourth death is when your remains have turned to dust. And the fifth death is the last time your name is ever mentioned. Now, think about that. What God had every Jewish person, you know, is to memorize the name and continually speak the name of, yeah. of their ancestors back to Adam, right? So that it literally kept them alive. You know, think about that. So what we're discovering, we're helping families discover their ancestry. We're helping them to develop this vision of what is the DNA that's already in us by looking back and building a story of why my parents came from the old world to the new world, right? How did they get from, from Ellis Island or or North Carolina, how did they get to Tennessee? How did they get to, right? How'd they get to Georgia, right? What was the, man, it is so neat to help these families. Just, it opens a whole new world to them, discovering their ancestry. It is so, it is so fun. And so- yeah. Well, in you know, there are
0: people groups all over the world and Jewish people, the same, who very were- good. Very who good. Were, taken and placed right right and so whether it's the African Americans in the US there's Native American people in different places right. whether it's it, going back to our example the Jewish people going to Babylon right there are no Jewish person today knows what tribe they're from right right none they don't know right and so you see that example replicated through history and what a destructive element that right. it can provide. Right. But what I'm hearing you say is even if I don't know my daddy's name, exactly, I can start today speaking a vision going forward. Amen. And this is one of the things that I realize I can count back several generations. Yeah, but I don't have a piece of paper. And now I have a wonderful father. Right. Wonderful, dad, godly father, loves the Lord, very yeah. intentional. All a lot of these boxes checked.
1: Right. Amen.
0: But what I don't have is a like you're going back and Trying to read, if I had something I could read from my grandfather, I don't have anything that's written down and be able to say, hey, this is the vision for the generations after me. And no matter what you have, what if you can't count back, what I'm hearing you say and what I think the audience needs to hear is that you can start today with you as generation
1: one. Yes, you be the first generation of your family to put in writing and build this. Multi-generational family vision. Absolutely, everyone can start where they're at, right? And any trip of a thousand miles starts with that first step. And so that step is for you who are now aware. Of, you need to to put in writing this family vision. We need to we need to lay the fa- we need to start writing the history of our family, right? I mean, think about it. The Bible is the family archives of one family. Every one of the 40 authors over 1,500 years were in the same family, right? What if they hadn't written the archives down, right? We would today, those of us, we were adopted in to that family, right? And so you be the first generation of your family to put this vision in writing, to cast this vision that will capture the heart and imagination of our children and grandchildren. I read a book that really inspired me, and it was a book called Orphans at Home by Joe White. Joe and his family started one of the largest Christian sports camps in the nation. It's called Camp Kanakuk. It's in Missouri. And at this sports camp, they got ten to 15,000 students a year go through this sports camp. It's unbelievable. And one night he was there with his daughter. They were, she was about 12 or 13 and they were walking to a little campsite and all these students were sitting around sharing some of the challenges that they faced when they got back home. And man, the stories, he he actually wanted to put his hands over his daughter's ears and say, honey, you don't need to hear. Man, there was just the challenges they faced, the, the kids that were cutting themselves. There were kids that were just, in rebellion and oh no, he's going, oh Lord, how do I protect my girl from all that she is going to encounter in the next five, six, 10 years, you know? And so he was kind of discouraged. And and anyway, the the group broke up and they were, he was walking back with his daughter, holding her hand, walking through the woods in the middle of the night. And uh, they got into a clearing and they saw the gorgeous stars. And in that area, man, there's no light pollution, man, you can see the stars they are like you could reach out and touch them. And he said, honey, let's find the brightest star in the sky. So they look and they pointed out what they believe the brightest star, just as they find that star, an airplane flies over with its landing lights on. And he said, honey, let me ask you this. What's the brightest light in the sky tonight? Is it that star? Or is it the landing lights on that plane? And he said, daddy, those landing lights are a lot brighter than that star." And then he had his flashlight, and he said, "'Well, let me ask you this. Is the light from this flashlight brighter or are the landing lights on that plane?' And she said, "'Oh, Dad, the light on your, on your flashlight's a lot brighter than that plane.'" And then he said the Lord spoke to him in that moment. He said, "'Look, if you will hold the candle of your family values, even if it's just a one candle string, if you'll hold the light of your family vision, your family values, if you help create this family identity, it will be the brightest light she'll ever see. The world doesn't stand a chance. Guys, I'm telling you, Hollywood has millions to spend. The video game industry, the movie industry, the music, I mean, they've got billions of dollars to capture the heart and imagination of our children, but they don't stand a chance for those families who have a vision and a mission and values. And they begin to share this and sell this to their children, explaining the reason why then we can hold that candle closest to their eyes and it'll be the brightest light they ever see. So that's the key. That's what we've got to do. And that's why I love about what we do at Family ID, helping families develop their family identity.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great example. And, You know, the the key is stopping and creating enough margin, right? Right. You can't do it in the thick of things. I think there's been a lot of things you've said, but the linchpin is go away. Now, not every family, the version of go away right? is different because you got different opportunities and different versions of go away, right? You know, whether you're whatever version you can achieve. Right? right. Whatever version you can afford, whatever version you can achieve, whatever that looks like. Very good. Don't go away and create the peace and mm-hmm. the absence of distraction. Very good. And, and ask those questions. Right. Yeah. What does that look like? And there will be a reply mm-hmm. and have your heart ready for the reply. Yes,
1: yes, yes. That's to be question. open to
0: that. Right. I, I think to me, all of that, the linchpin is to go away and take that time because you'll never hear it. You never see it with all the craziness going on and that, that peer pressure comment you you said earlier in looking at that, there are so many parents who say, how do I handle this? And how do I handle that? And they're trying to fight the peer pressure, but the the peers, right? Right, that's they're right. Just, they're just stupid little kids who are, who are doing dumb things. Mm-hmm. It's the lost boys guiding the lost boys. And so if you can take that other step And be able to say, hey, no, I'm going to be the source. Mm. This is going to be what we have. But that's often the challenge because parents are still led by parents. Right. Right. Mm. And that that discipleship and mentoring process of taking that grandparent and all of those different, there's these things that have to come together. And that's really the encouragement. If you can commit to that and go in and finding those pieces of truth that need to be spoken into your life and opening yourself up to it and really being humble to learn some of these things, then you can capture that. And and Greg, I'm ashamed to say it, but it wasn't until this year that my wife and I went away and had that go away. Right. And married 13 years, got a whole bunch of kids working in business doing these things. It's like, well, you know, why haven't we done this for ourselves? And since we've done it, Mm. it's a whole different relationship.
1: That's great.
0: Wow. Whole different relationship with her, with the kids, with you know all of those different things, and it's not magic. Yeah, it's not magic, but it That's... just gets the trash out of the way, yeah. right? It just gets the it gets the clutter and the trash and everything else out yeah. of your mind so that you can look at it. Amen. And, and you know, I sat through I sat through your session. What was it? Sometime last year when you sat in with the legendary group, right? Mm-hmm. The monthly legendary group. Right. And you talked about those five deaths, right? And that was the thing that, ju- and it jumped out on me again today, right. looking through the five deaths and realizing, shoot, you know, I know back a number of generations, but no one's saying that of uh, that previous generation's name. No one's saying it, right? Right? Because nobody knows it. Yeah, exactly. And to think about it, in in the, the final death being, no one knows your name. And you know, even the people who are the most popular and well-known person in the world today, who, I mean, throw a name out there. Who is that? Who's the most popular person? Everybody knows that person. Elon Musk? Elon Musk, yeah, very good. (laughs) Yeah. At what point is Elon Musk going to experience the fifth death? Hmm. Where no one no one said at some point, and that's a scary thing, but at at the end of the day, we know we're Temporary. That's right. Right. We only have a certain amount of time and influence. Sure. And to the degree we can of pushing that forward so people understand and people memorize, people know that's what the biblical account is. We have Matthew 1 for that specific reason, be able to trace that all the way through. Hmm. But that's a really impactful thing. So, Greg, tell me you know, you're, you're 2003, you started.
1: Right. So you've done 50,000. Right. What's ahead? Well, we really believe that we have a vision, a big, hairy, audacious vision, okay? And that is to take family ID to 30 million families. We want 30 million people to go through this workshop, and we really believe that God is is opening these doors so we can do that. So to do that, we have to leverage technology. So the way a person can go through this workshop we have live events where we go and we do a group event. So if if you have a group that you would like for us to come, if you're a business leader and you want us to come and do a, a workshop for your for your business or your team, we can do that. We have nonprofit organizations that bring us in and have us do a, a workshop with churches that invite us to come and take families. So like a, a family camp, or we do a marriage retreat or and we can do so. We do live events, and then we do events with just one family, and we do a customized family ID event with that family. And so we walk every family member through in those custom events. We we help you discover what each family member's love language is, what their apology language. How do you how do you receive an apology? How do you give an apology? Because we are always needing to apologize, right? And so. We're able to help those families build then this healthy family identity. And then we do a whole segment on, on sibling relationships. It's a powerful yeah. to help yeah. siblings develop their multi, their idea of uh, how do we build, how do I build up my sibling, right? And so we have a whole segment on this powerful, and then we have a streaming, we have it where you can get our workshop all on our streaming. So you can go to our website, family-id dot com family hyphen or dash sign id dot com and you can download our our stream streaming so you can go away you can just go take a take a a couple of nights a week and go through this workshop these are there's six modules that you go through and when you're finished you have a vision statement you have your core values you have your mission statement, all in writing. And then we help you write a family ID, kind of a family slogan. Great companies create slogans to help you remember what that product is all about. You know, like just do it is Nike and the ultimate driving machine is BMW and eat fresh is Subway, right? This helps develop this healthy family identity by creating a family slogan, right? And When you've set through that workshop, when you go through that, you will walk away with a vision, mission, and values. And we facilitate that whole process for your family. And then you can go to go to to your app, your app store, and you can download the Family ID app. And man, it is packed with free resources. We have resources for how to help your children develop this team spirit where they are treating the vision of treating their sibling better than their best friend, which was unheard of in the house I grew up in, right? I didn't, I didn't treat my siblings better than my best friend. I treated them a lot worse. Anyway, but we've discovered that we, if we can help take those older siblings and give them this vision of being a team captain in their family, mom and dad are the coaching staff. And what do I want? for, for my, my siblings. What kind of success do I want them to have in life and so on? So we have all these downloads that you can get. We have the, the agenda for how to do a family goal setting weekend and on and on. We just have so many great resources that will help you. Some great videos that you can watch and, and give you some ideas on how to become more intentional at home than you are at work. Man, what if that became, Russ, what if that became our standard? I'm going to, this year, 2023, I'm going to become more intentional at home or as as intentional at home as I am at work, okay? So if that becomes my standard, I'm probably not going to hit it this year. I'm probably not going to hit it next year. But five years from now, I hope to be doing so much more intentionally than I've ever done before. We don't want anybody to get overwhelmed, but I'm telling you, if you can go through this workshop through our streaming service. Dude, I'm telling you, we've had more people call in, email us. If you have a question about this, you just send it to info at family-id.com. We'd be glad to connect with you and just help you think through what would be the best way for us to take our family through this. Could you come and do a a live event. Could could we do it with three couples? Could we get three couples together and go through this? And anyway, we'd be, we'd be glad to accommodate and and help you develop your multi generational vision. Help you lay the foundations for many godly generations. That
0: sounds awesome. You know, everybody just needs a guide. They need a someone who is empathetic but also authoritative, who can be a guide to not tell them what to do, but show them how. To do something that they already know and want. For a lot of people, they'd rather go to the dentist than have a, a family meeting. Right, and, and just from our perspective, and, and you know, not every person we interview understands this, but you have a financial background. If you're sitting there as you're sitting there as a as a dad or mom, and you've got you know either wealth that you've inherited or wealth that you built, right, in any the the valuables, right, any of those kind of conversations, sure. then if you are entrusting that in the now or in the future to people that you don't actually trust, that's a problem, right? If you're looking at it and saying, well, God's given this to me, this is something I have, but I'm just obligated to give it to the next generation and and who knows what they're going to do with it. Then no, you're not obligated to give it to the next generation. Put that in their hands when they have joined into the vision. Now they have, they may have some unique things, right? You don't want them to just be hamstrung by whatever your specific
1: Absolutely.
0: vision yeah. is. Yeah. But the vision is open enough for freedom of expression going forward, Very but right. the guidelines right. and the values and the goals are mm-hmm. what are passed down. Yeah. And, you know, for us, we talk about family legacy within right. our financial planning and, and, and founder led financial discussions because, you want that to be a part of the legacy. You don't want what the wealth and the valuables to screw up your family. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't you don't want that to overpower what you're already doing. Build right. this so that they're capable of extending that on and they don't end up like some of these people who you hear all over the place where everybody the only time they get together is to find out what the next what the next amount of money coming out of the trust is going to be.
1: Right? Right. right? That's
0: the only time they see each other and talk to each other.
1: That's right. That's right. In fact, it, that creates independence. What we want our children and grandchildren to be is interdependent. We want them to make decisions together. One of the wealthiest men in the world in 1820 was a guy named Ezra Weston, and he owned 115 merchant ships, one of the top shipbuilders, all the whaling ships, merchant ships, and in 1820, one of the wealthiest in the world, and yet within 35 years, all of that wealth was gone. Now, in his lifetime, he took a tiny sliver of that wealth and started a family foundation that eventually became the Boston Foundation. Today, that foundation is worth over a billion dollars, and they've given away hundreds and hundreds of millions over the last 200 years. And so now wait a minute, how can the vast amount of wealth be gone? And this little sliver has been built because those who made the decisions in the foundation had to make decisions from a position of trusting each other. They were were on the committee. They made decisions together. When Ezra Weston passed away, he just took each one of his children and took a piece of his and gave them one fifth of it. You got one fifth. You got one fifth. Well, that caused the children to never have to see each other again. They they've got their they've got their own. They don't need to get back together for the family reunion. There's no need for that now, right? And so that just facilitated each of them becoming independent instead of becoming interdependent. So some of the best advisors we've heard from in this area, they've said. The goal is to have between two to four family meetings a year, and only one of them talk about the money. Spend the most of the time building family interdependence. Create this opportunity to get all the family together and build relationships. You know, children don't rebel against authority. They rebel against a lack of relationship. Families don't rebel against this family, you know, uh, the patriarch and matriarch of the family they're, they're, well they just it's a lack of right they, they need to build relationship. Our children and grandchildren, our, our nieces and nephews need to build a relationship with each other, right? So Ron and I started a a family camp where we call it cousins camp. So we get all the cousins to come over yep. to our house and then next year we go to my brother and his wife's house for the cousins camp. We want to build that family interdependence and that's a powerful tool. For us to be able to help families pass their vision and their their valuables to every generation without it hurting them, right? Without it causing a, a huge a huge problem in the next generation. So, yeah, I, I love what you guys do, Russ. The, the the vision you have of helping families create their legacy and and to to write a legacy letter to their yeah. descendants, right? And so, dude, I'm, I'm excited. We
0: don't. We don't have uh, 30 million families as our goal, so we probably need to go back to the drawing board a little bit. I love that. That's big. That is a big, very audacious
1: vision. Right, right. So we really feel like that. And then right this year, we are creating an app which will be a family assessment where okay. you send this out to each family member, and we ask questions like do you feel like you're important to your family? Do you feel heard when you, do you feel like your voice is heard in the family? Or you know, it's just a whole list of questions. And then it says, okay, based upon that, your family relationship health is a seven on a, you know, seven out of 10, or it's a five out of 10. And so what you guys need to do, and it gives them a path forward, what would be our next step? If we want to improve our family health. So we've created an assessment, and we've discovered around the world, people like taking assessments. So they would love to know. It's a, it's a thing now. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, and, yeah. And, and then, then we have got set up these modules that, based upon what they put in, what how they identify. If they say I'm a single single parent and yep. raising good. Good. I'm a grandparent raising grandchildren. I'm. I'm a family. We're a family of faith. So faith is very important to us. So they identify and then we're able to put we put them into this module, these eight different videos and modules that will take them through and help them be more of a customized workshop. And so we feel like we can take that and send that assessment out in multiple languages and, and then help families go through this workshop and get us to that 30 million families. So that's our that's our big, hairy, audacious goal, and that we're working on in 2023. So, man, I'm I'm excited. Thank you so much, Russ, for for yeah, having. Yeah, thank
0: us. you, thank you. This has been great, and everybody that uh, all the, the number of different things that have been listed. Some some books we mentioned. We'll put those in the description of the video. Check on all of that. Check on Greg and his profile and his whole uh, story. You can read more about it and, and get in touch with them. We'll have the info at uh, Family ID. Dot com listed in the description below as well thanks everybody for joining greg thank you very much i appreciate you joining appreciate the testimony what the lord has carried you through what he's leading you into and all of the different organizations and families that you're going to touch and at the end of the day it's how do we get the most out of the blessing that god has put in front of us and that's what's so exciting and i appreciate your time and energy and passion And uh, looking forward to seeing things that come out of all of this. Appreciate everything.
1: Thank you, Russ. Appreciate you, buddy. All right.